You're listening to Underrepresented Representatives with your host, Naja Imani Muhammad, a.k.a. Naja Knows, a.k.a. Najita the Clean, a.k.a. <laughs> Miss Muhammad Jr., a.k.a. <laughs> David Quill's best friend. And that cute. reminds me, my other host is Vox. How you doing? Hey, 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 David. 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 <laughs> David. David. Nah, it could be Dave. It could be Dave. We do this every time. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's David. It's David, everyone. All right. So there's a lot happening in the world and we haven't had an episode in a while, but Dave Connor and I were talking and we said we, we need to make sure our voices are heard because why did we even start this podcast, Dave? You always say it the most eloquently. Why are we here? Why are we the underrepped reps? Yeah, it's because there's lack of representation, which now people are finally seeing. And there's people that have stories that need to be heard, plain and simple. And now that it's important to everyone, companies, everything used to be business. Now it's all personal. So the platform's here. We got to use it the right way. We got to use it. We've been using it and now people are actually finally ready to listen. So let's make some noise. Today's episode of Underrepped Reps is sponsored by Virtue, the Virtue brand, morals over money. David, tell us a little bit about Virtue. Virtue, um, me and my cousin, Eddie, we started a clothing brand back in September, 2017. Um, just about just being an approachable brand that, you know, want to do something right in the world, whether it's through clothing, um, eventually we'll start expanding it. But right now that's our, that's our message and morals over money. Always, always morals over money. And I think that's really important right now because uh, you've got major corporations, you've got people who have a lot of money and feel like they cannot speak up about things, but what do your morals say? Yeah. I mean, we're going to get into a lot. First, let's start by saying George Floyd's name. I mean, yeah. Brianna Taylor, Taylor, happy birthday, belated birthday. We got into that particular mess because some cops didn't have morals over money, right? It's come out recently that the cops on the scene, you know, the three cops who didn't stop that man, and I won't say that man's name, were new to the job. Yeah. They were new to the job, and you don't want to go against... You don't want to go against the hires up. So do you have your morals over money? Apparently not. But we can talk more about that later. Um, today's episode is also sponsored by <laughs> LBC. That's Leaders by Choice in the building. We out here. Leaders by Choice is bringing leadership skills through theater and the arts to children and adults all over the nation, namely Beacon, New York, Brooklyn, New York, and Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, today's a very special episode for anyone who has been tuning in, any of our loyal listeners, because we have someone very important. David, who's our guest today? Huh? Nah. Mrs. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Fonda Kip Muhammad, the, the, the legendary LBC uh, English teacher, mom, uh, wonderful woman, you know, I'll leave my best friend, my real best friend, Ali Mohammed. <laughs> Mrs. Mohammed. And I and I know everyone on that's gonna be listening to this. Like this is this is when you need a strong black woman speaking to people to let them know everything's gonna be all right, but we need to listen to her and what she has to say on what's going on at this moment in time, because before people weren't listening enough. It wasn't that they weren't listening, they weren't understanding what was being said, and she's been doing this forever. That's what life. So thank you for being on. This is something I wanted to do um, for a long time. Um, So thank you so much for joining us. That's right. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Thank you for having me. 
underrepresented representatives. <laughs> love that name. Love that name. Yes, I am Fonda K. Muhammad, and I'm here to take over the show. Okay. Yes, <laughs> yes. that's the real host. I'm actually just here. <laughs> it's our show. We got the couch. We got the Oprah couch. We got the Oprah couch. Okay. Yeah. Uh, today's episode is also um, sponsored by My Mother's Smile. You can't see it if you're listening in for the actual podcast, but if you're on Instagram Live, you can see it shining bright. Today's episode is also sponsored by Strawberries. When you bite in, it feels good, but make sure you brush your teeth after because it will stain your teeth. Strawberries. You see the uh, thing on Instagram? People put salt on the strawberries and water, and a bunch of bugs come out. It's disgusting. I heard about that. Yeah, it was weird. It was very strange. It was very but, I mean, I'd rather the bugs come out than uh, come in my body, I guess. Hey, happens. <laughs> it does happen all right so oh my goodness I, i'm happy to see you guys you know obviously connor hasn't said anything but connor's always with us in the building for, for everyone listening um times are tough right now they were already tough for two and a half months because of coronavirus and now nothing has changed for me as a black woman in terms of my experience but we're amplifying voices and it's it's getting louder and people like you said dave so beautifully they're listening more and they're listening harder and they're actually willing to take action. Um, but I just got to say, before we get into it, it's just so nice to feel the joy to take a break from dismantling white supremacy, if you will, to just like smile with you guys and to bring my mom into it. She made me so. <laughs> yes, thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. We're excited. Is this, uh, it's been a rough, not gonna lie. It's been, it's been interesting. Like when everything first happened, it was like, um, everything is just like compounded. It's like, okay, again, like in my mind, it was like, all right, this happened again. How are we going to change the narrative this time? Can we, we can go out there, we can protest, we can do vigils, but like, what can we actually do this time? And then all of a sudden people actually started listening to these problems and especially the media, like it's a double-edged sword with them because you don't know what type of narrative they're actually trying to build. Right. So when it really comes down to it, now they actually have listened to us, but at the same time, they're still putting out, oh, there's organizations that are out there, I'm not going to say any names, but there's organiz organizations out there that are not doing the right thing with the peaceful protesters. It's like, but you're only highlighting that. Right. My, I talked to my dad the other day, there was seven peaceful protests. The only thing he knew about from watching the news is the looters and New York City being boarded up in Soho. And I'm like, dad, don't like he does. And he's like, I took it with a grain. Like he gets all angry. I took it with a grain. And so I didn't believe him. I'm like, I know that, but I want to make sure you hear it, at least for me, so that, you know, someone actually experienced what's going on. Because a lot of times that's what happened, especially with white people. It didn't affect them. So in turn, it wasn't enough for them to actually speak up. But this is now more of a human problem. But black people have been suffering and we don't we don't want to suffer no more. Yeah, I, I love that you've mentioned about the media, but also just in terms of putting the spotlight on white people, right? Um, it's people are uncomfortable, yeah. and it feels it feels tougher than because they're like, I feel like I'm being put on the spot. You know, I feel like there's a lot of friends who are thinking, "Whoa, I have to watch what I say now because I'm white," and it's just interesting because I've lived my entire life like that, right? Mm -hmm. And you, you as well. Even now, I was going to say. Not what do you think about that, Connor? Because what's beautiful is you always chime in when you have something to say. But in our personal, out off the cameras and off the, the microphones, we're always talking about issues, right? But even just now, I was going to ask, oh, what do you think about such and such that David said? And in my head, I said, oh, I don't want to put him on the spot. But then I realized 
how many times have I been put on the spot when we talk about slavery in classrooms and I'm the one black one person, person. <laughs> everyone looks at me or, you know, I'm, I'm in a sorority and they're talking about how we need to diversify. And they're like, well, what do you think, Naja? Now is the time even for everyone to, to feel like what most of us have felt like for our entire lives. I mean, David, you're biracial. We had a whole episode about it. You might go to your mother's family and look different than your cousins. You've been put on the spot your entire life. So I feel like it's not about vilifying people and it's not about having arguments, but it is about having these conversations. And if they have a taste of what we've been feeling forever, then good. It has to happen. And that's the only way you grow though. You have to go through something to get to somewhere that you want to be. And Mm -hmm. every time, like every single story, everyone loves the underdog story. Like when someone's self-made or like you have to go through something to be able to experience it, then learn from that. Regardless if it's negative or positive, most people try their best. Not everyone does it. Not even myself. We try to learn from those negative experiences rather than calling ourselves failures. And I think a lot of times the way we're portrayed, no matter what, the one slip up that people of color, once they have that slip up, we're penalized for it whether it be going to jail, you know, not having a a bachelor's degree, like anything that we try to do to get ourselves out of there. Like some people can't even go to school because their family doesn't have enough money. And then you can't qualify for a loan because your, your family, your something that has nothing to do with you. Your mom or dad, unfortunately don't make enough money. And they say back in the day, like, Oh, that, that should be, you know, all government loans. And it, it didn't happen. It didn't happen for a lot of people I know that wanted to go to school. So it's unfortunate once you make one mistake that carries with you, but for other cultures that doesn't happen. So that's where like, it's like, what did we do? Like we, you brought us here, you took over everything. You started the world on violence and then can't figure out why people are reacting that way. And the reason why I think innately they react that way is because they think that we're coming to take everything. And that's not, black people are so forgiving. We're so accepting. Like we are only asking for equal. That's it. We want equal. We're not asking for reparations. Some people are, of course. That's of course. But we're not we're not asking for more than what we deserve. And that speaks, that's why black people are so dope. Like we're not asking for more. We're just we're not asking for interest that they charge us at the bank. We're not asking for anything. We're just asking for what we think we deserve. And to them, that's a threat. And unfortunately, again, I can't speak. Well, actually, I can because I am white. You know, I speak to my white family. And that's at sometimes the conversations that you have. It, it seems like there's a growing fear, but it shouldn't be fearful. It should be like, wow, this is an opportunity to learn. And that's how we have to rewire our brains. Listen, we're not asking for anything more than we deserve as human beings. That's and we're it. not asking for a lot, to your point, David. Um, we're not you call me little David. You got you got that respect. Come on, <laughs> we're asking for respect. We're asking to be treated equally. I don't think that's a lot. We're asking to be um, represented represented in different areas. I want to just go back to a point that you were making about how, um, and I'm paraphrasing, but a lot of things that are worth its value have to go through turbulent times. Back to that point, even if you think about a diamond, I'm not going to pretend to know the process of how a diamond becomes this shiny, beautiful stone or gem, but we know that it doesn't start like that. It yeah. had to go 
through some pressure. It had to go, it would start out, I believe, as a piece of coal. However <laughs> it started, it ended up being beautiful. Well, likewise, um, we have to go through some turbulent times to get the beauty, the value that we deserve and are requesting. So I yeah. just want to throw that in. No, that's a, that's exactly the point. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly the point. Sometimes that's we're devalued, and and at the end of the day, it comes to someone's mindset to change the way that they're thinking about something. Because to your exact point, a diamond could be worthless in this world if everyone thought that it was worthless. Yeah, and that's how I think people think about black people. No one else is valuing us. No one is speaking up for us. It's very rare. When I was younger, that someone of being white speaks up for David Quill. You know what I mean? I can count on my fingers the friends that do and they know who they are. And I speak to them to this day because they always stood up for me. Times I didn't have to speak up for myself. And that was empowering to know that I was accepted by them. But on the reverse end, I'm not looking for their acceptance. To your point, I'm looking for their respect. And that's the mindset I think that's going to grow out of this movement. People yeah. are going to realize all right, I got to take personal accountability for myself. I have to stop going into these dining halls and thinking that I don't belong because you do. And that's going to grow because at first we have to recognize the problem. That's the problem right now. People are looking at us different. We see it. And the only reason why we don't say anything is because we were taught to be polite. But now going through this movement, I always say the virtue lies in the struggle, not the prize. We're in the struggle point. And as we grow through these protests, through people speaking up, we're going to build that confidence because yeah. we're going to feel accepted. At the end of the day, everybody just wants to feel accepted. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. So to your point about being polite, you know, we're taught to be polite, right? And even with that polite, being polite is not making noise about certain things. That's what brings me to my mom. And she's incredible. And she started LBC and we're getting a lot of of um, support for that right now. But you were talking about how you come into these environments and you're seen as a threat when really you are a diamond in the rough. That's what you went through. You, in being polite, in doing what you felt that you were taught to, you said, well, let me just quiet my struggle and let me just do what I have to do for these kids. And I just wanna, I wanna hear about that because David made a beautiful point that we've been going through this and now people are getting uncomfortable and now we went through the struggle and now we're starting to shine. The first question I had that I wanted to ask you is what have you seen change in 25 years? But I don't even need to know about the change, but just what stayed the same? Because you've gone through that struggle and I don't know, I just, I just want to start to hear from you because that hit me when Dave said, we have to learn to be polite. And so we're polite in these situations and polite means being silent and that's not okay. Right, so learning to be polite is something that transcends generations. So my great grandfather taught on down the line, my mother, father taught me to be polite. We taught you guys to be polite. And there's nothing wrong with that on the surface of it. But when politeness bleeds over, and I said bleeds over into silence, it's a problem because it's like what happened to me. I learned to be quiet. I learned to suffer in my silence. And then all of a sudden, the pain becomes suppressed and you forget about it and it's business as usual. And then all of a sudden, you're at the breakfast nook with your daughter and she says something and you have a breakdown because I hadn't thought about that pain that was 
inflicted upon me. It was emotional, it was psychological, all based on me striving to have a positive agenda to bring young people together. That was my agenda, always has been my agenda, but the powers that be in the original school district that I worked didn't see it as that. They saw it as, as I'm reflecting, a threat because I was disrupting the norm. All of a sudden, the students who had the spotlight on them, those that certain echelon of student who had the spotlight on them, now the spotlight was on a different demographic, a demogra- demographic, and um, I believe it was a threat. There's so much, there's so much raw emotion in me. I don't really know where to begin. I don't want to bore people with details. You said bore you with details? You bore me with details, please. (laughs) Connor, feel free to edit whatever needs to be. But here's my story. I'm no longer being silent. I will strive to be polite, though, because that's who I am. So back in 1993, I started with the Beacon School District, Beacon, New York. And um, a bunch of just beautiful young people just used to hang out in my room that first year. Just hang out, just hang out. I said, wow, they used to help me with bulletin boards, et cetera, et cetera. But a vision at the end of that school year, I was blessed with this dream or vision. I said, oh, you know, when I start back, I'm going to start a leadership club because these young people have so so much natural leadership skills. And that's what I did. So my second year, I had a group of eighth grade, about five or six eighth grade girls just hang out. And I said, hey, let's start this club. You guys have leadership in you. Let's start this club. It was called, originally it was called Leaders by Nature. Mm. Because I think it was a time when um, it was a song out called, oh, it was called Naughty by Nature. I know. I knew you was talking about Naughty by Nature. Naughty by Nature. (laughs) But I said, no, we're not going to be naughty. We're going to be leaders by nature because it was this natural stuff that I saw the year before. I missed my mark in bringing those kids in. But that second year, I brought this group in. Oh, man, it was the Benazia Paulins of the world. It was the Shante Dandridge's of the world. It was the Fiona Jackson's of the there world. There we go. Forgive me, you know, it's a little rusty up there. <laughs> it was, um, oh, God, it was the Vivs of the world. It was, it was just a bunch that used to hang out. And so they were down with the movement. They said, yeah, we're going to be naughty by nature. But there was some mockery going on. And um, through that mockery, coming from adults and then trickling down to um, un, uh, unknowing, or I would say students who didn't know any better, they started saying, oh, they took the acronym LBN and they started calling us little, little black ends. I will mm. not say, you'll never hear me say that word. So they were calling us not leaders by nature, but LB, LBNs, little, little black ends. And what I heard from um, some of the students, it came from some teachers. Mm. I don't have, I, now that I have no receipts on, but it hurt. And I said, you know what? To, um, to quell this negativity, let's call ourselves LBC, Leaders by Choice. So we had this little LBC go, we had this LBC flow, totally unofficial, totally like, I, I didn't, I was so naive. I didn't know it was okay to volunteer. Mm. I, as a teacher, I was volunteering my time to bring in this group who would not necessarily have gone to 
the chess club or the peer mediation club or the, the honor society. They were hanging out, being leaders, being positive. So we had a small group of leaders by choice, about six, like I said, six girls. And we decided to put on this show, a 15 minute show called Without Violence We Rise. Mm. We were doing things. Fast forward. Um, so this is now 1994. Fast forward towards the end of 94, December 94, the president of the union at that time came to my classroom and said, look, I'm, I'm hearing when that you started this club and, you know, finally you're making us look bad. You, you know, teachers don't volunteer because what's going to happen is the board is going to say, well, hey, you got this teacher in room 117 uh, doing it for free. Why should we pay you stipends? I said, oh, thank you, did. I didn't know that. Which <laughs> did his browser is a gym. He was one of the teachers who cared, still cares. We're still friends to this day. He was having my back. He was really taking this naive teacher of 37 years old, this naive teacher who just didn't know any better. He took me by the hand and said, listen, I got your back. It's going to be a great program, but it has to be approved. So that's what we did. We went to the board again, very naive, so naive. We went to the board. I had my little proposal. And um, I'll never forget Charles Walker, who was a board member at the time. He took my little proposal, threw it. Uh, it's, it's, it's like a um, permanent memory. He took my little proposal, threw it in front of him like this and said, hmm, I see here there's a lot of uh, hidden messages in this proposal. And I see by your surname, Muhammad, and the garb that you're wearing, we can't have any Islam in our school. Now, Shante Dandridge was in the uh, meeting with me. And she, and Shante Dandridge, she's a student, yes, student. She was one of the original members, eighth grader at the time. And um, I looked over at her and I was also fasting, it was the month of Ramadan. So between fasting and mm -hmm. gathering up my, um, my composure, because what I was really feeling was livid. You know, I'm brown, so you wouldn't see the red, but I felt all this heat all up in here. It was all up in here. <laughs> but I had to be good. Remember, I have to be polite. Uh, you taught that. You got to be nice. You got to be nice. But I, I was fasting, so I wasn't going to have this dude break my fast. And I had a student who, who always was supportive in the audience. So Allah blessed me to say like this. Um, respectfully, Mr. Walker. I was hired as a Muslim wearing the same garb. My name has been Muhammad for a long time. I clearly understand the premise behind separation of church and state. So basically I was saying miss me with that without saying miss me with that. Also, it wasn't, it, it wasn't just because you were Muslim. He said that because separation of church and state, but it was because you were black too. Because we've seen other Muslim people, Middle Eastern descent, be on boards not too far after that time. Right. And and I, I hear you're telling your story, but just for the listeners, because there's people who are tuning in more now, as Dave said in the beginning, than they would have before because of what's happening. It's, there's a lot of people who don't think they can talk to their kids about this. And when they say kids are talking about 14 year olds, how old was Shante Dandridge? 13, 14. 13, and she saw a white man try to tear you down. Yes. Her parents and you didn't have the opportunity to hide racism from her. So we shouldn't be now, nor should we have been back then, nor should we be in 20 years hiding it from our kids. Right. And I'd interrupt for that, that moment just because I'm hearing your story and you're gonna continue, but 
that's also what this is about. Like it's about our youth leaders by choice. Yeah. She didn't, she couldn't unhear that. Right. She saw her hero try to get beat up metaphorically. Right. And she and I actually, I'm glad you brought that in. It wouldn't be you to not interrupt. <laughs> also, we got, we got listeners. This is a yes. We got three people we're trying to cut into. No. That's, that's really good. But interesting enough, Shantae and I, we did talk after. And as I was driving her home, back in those days, you could actually drive kids home and everything was all right. Whole nother story. But I was driving her home and she said, Miss Muhammad, I feel so bad for you. I feel so bad for you. I said, Shantae, you know what? As a woman, as an African-American woman, as a Muslim woman, I'm so used to this. I was crying and it was kind of hard to be vulnerable in front of a student. But I was so shook that someone would actually just just tear me down. And I think the thing that bothered me the most was I'm doing this for the kids. I was doing it before Dennis told me to go get paid for it. I was doing it. And so how do you stand up there as a board member representing the whole district and, and throw those charges at me? But here's the thing that people need to know. Zoom in on that camera too, because I want to do the whole thing. <laughs> Make a big screen. Make a big screen. <laughs> the thing that people need to know, and I don't care what your religious or your spiritual journey is, God don't like ugly. English mm-hmm. teacher said don't. I, I, meant, I said it for a reason. God don't like ugly. The board, unanimous, well, it's not really unanimous because Charles, Charles Walker didn't want it, but if there were nine board members at the time, mm-hmm. eight out of nine voted yes. Now, they, some of them may have really held dear to their heart exactly the sentiments of Charles Walker. But how do you do that? You got a reporter in the room recording everything. I still have the article. Like I said, I have receipts. Mm. The article Bring them out, where um, it was said, you know, Charles Walker stood up there and um, accused Fonda Muhammad, new teacher, one year in the district of... Of, of, of tempting or planning to have, um, he said he called it target words in her proposal um, to try to teach Islam as opposed to leadership skills. The club is called Leaders by Choice. The premise was to teach leadership skills and to give young people a voice that he, young people who wouldn't necessarily be heard. So that was that first um, jar. And it's really not the first jar. If you go back to my first year as um, this is more of, I believe it was racial discrimination. Um, my first year, I started this. Um, I, now that I think about it, I was really a maverick. I didn't even know what the word meant probably back then. But I think, <laughs> you know, a, a person who comes in to make change. But I'm using it as a positive. It usually has a negative connotation. But um, I did come in to make change. I, I, I went to school. I was educated. And I was taught to be a change agent and an mm. agent of change. So I really went in there idealistically thinking, oh, I'm going to change some things. Always having the young people in mind. But I, anyway, I went to the principal, Mancari at the time, Ed Mancari, and um, I said, oh, I want to start this. Um, I want to have a contest. I want to, I want to have a black history contest connected to the curriculum. They would, the, the students would research African-American writers, authors, and they would, um, recreate, recreate the book covers. We have a first, first, second in place prize. Blah 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 blah. It wasn't really met with enthusiasm. It really wasn't met with anything. So I decided to just go on and do it because I was so 
and I don't mean this as um, a, 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 a negative a negative to me, but I really was innocent. Mm-hmm. I really w- went in there with idealistic eyes, like, oh, it's going to be so beautiful. I didn't know people, I think about it now, some, some 30 years later, I really didn't know people were so mean-spirited. I really mm-hmm. didn't. Or maybe that was my blessing. Maybe that maybe that was my protection. Whatever. I went in there for the kids and we we're gonna have this um contest. And we had the contest, all the eighth graders. And I hope there's some eighth graders shaking rounds of the world, shaking rounds in my class, shaking rounds, shaking rounds. So I saw that Shagan had this amazing artistic ability. And there was a um another student named Jeff, uh, Jeff with the last name B. It wasn't Jeff Bridges, but it was Jeff. I remember, I could see Jeff's face. I'm just not calling, recalling his name. Shagan Brown won, won first prize and Jeff won, won second. Shagan, Shagan Brown's book cover was on the um, autobiography of Malcolm X. Mm. Jeff also researched an African-American and he won second prize. And there was a third prize winner. You know what? If I'm not remembering names, we're going to have mess on the brain, not on the heart. but Shane had so much pride he stood up there I took a picture I still have the original picture where he held his book cover like this and this big old smile Shane Brown won first prize and I wasn't a judge so they were they were not going to put that on me but I believe in my heart again I don't have receipts to prove this you don't have it's hard to get receipts to to um to indicate what's in people's hearts but you also have what God gives you and it's called intuition and I believe that it was um not really encouraged or not really uh, approved or not really, um, give me another word, or not really um, accepted. accepted. It's another word, but it's okay. And I really do believe that that was because I was this um, young, whew, 37, this young, beautiful uh. <laughs> African-American woman who was coming up and shaking up things. And I know for a fact I was a threat to the other eighth grade English teacher, and his name is Greg Glassy. I know for a fact. Uh, how do you prove that you were a threat? Well, body language and um, energies and behaviors tell you that. Yeah. And so that being the case, he was supposed, he was hired, he was given a stipend to be my mentor that first year. And I could tell you, and this is, I'm not putting this on my memory, I'm telling you straight up, and you'll see it in the book that will come out, if God willing. But um, um, and Inshallah. I'm not, he did nothing to mentor me. And I do believe whatever issues he had with me, I believe that he didn't mentor me by choice. Yeah. He chose not to mentor this young African-American woman who happened to be Muslim. But again, this is going to be my theme. This is going to be what, this is going to be my mantra. God don't like ugly. Uh-uh. That first year, Man, the kids were like gravitating, like I said earlier in the story, they were gravitating to my class. I didn't say, yo, yo, come to Muhammad's <laughs> class. They just started coming. Because one thing about young people, they know what's real. Yeah. And teachers who are going for the check and the vacations and the summer offs, and they know the students who are for them. And they knew that that first year, and they knew that 25 years later. And they know it now. Yeah. So, oh, I'm all over the place, got emotions going. but um. What I like to say is my first experience at Roundabout Middle School in Beacon, New York, was an experience that I survived through. We say Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. 
even those black lives that I point the fingers at me, at myself, who didn't necessarily die a physical death, but there were many times I died a very short death, but I refused to let them beat me down where I was totally spiritually beaten to death. Yeah. So they try, oh, I'm telling you, Dave and Connor, Naja, they tried so hard to beat me down. And during this podcast, I can't even really um, enumerate the different things that were done to me. I'll, I'll, I'll just try, but I had the receipts as I, as I reached out for, for help and I tried not to be silent and I reached out to the powers that be to get help. De Cesare, who was the superintendent of schools at the time, I, 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 uh, back in those days, they were called memos. We didn't have um, emails. So I, I get, sent him a memo and I, I itemized all the things that were happening to, to me by Greg Glassie um, and Man Carey. I, I um, memoed Man Carey. I said, look, these things are happening to me. So I wasn't even being necessarily silent. As a strong woman, I really wanted help because I'm like, why, is he, why are these things happening to me? Let me tell you something. You know what their remedy was? First of all, the Cesare never even acknowledged my memo. Never to this day, almost 30 years later, I have not heard from him. Man Carey did acknowledge my memo. So I was sat in his office and he said, I see there's some, some concerns going on between you and Greg Glassy. This is what we're gonna do. And I'm like, still so naive, feeling so hopeful. We're gonna switch you from eighth grade and we're gonna send you to seventh grade. You have no idea how that, it broke me down momentarily, it did. Like, I get slapped on the wrist and I'm the one being abused emotionally and psychologically? Nope. I couldn't fathom that, I couldn't. I spoke to Dennis about it, I spoke to my husband about it. Dennis fought to, um, to try to keep me on the eighth grade with Trucello because we had a solid team. But the powers that be had to satisfy a crooked teacher who, um, who just had to have his way. And he was crooked. Mm-hmm. He, he was crooked. He did not have the best interest of anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and again, I, I, I'm all over the place because my emotions are raw. Sorry, mm-hmm. you sound like I said raw. It, um, <laughs> um, they're very cool. Roar. I, I, yeah, you know, Roar. I am a woman like here. Like a dungeon Roar. dragon. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, was, I was hurting. And that summer, I remember saying to my husband, I said, um, I don't even want to teach anymore. He said, that's exactly what the devil wants. Yep, that's yeah. exactly. That's exactly what he wants. He said, Fonda, don't let them beat you down. So I went through the summer. I went through my, um, I guess my, uh, what I had, my grieving of no longer going to be an eighth grade teacher. I had to check my ego. And I said, no, wait. Are you are you are you so upset because you're not an eighth grade teacher? You're still a teacher, and so yes, in fact, I got it together. September, I came in as a seventh grade teacher. Woo woo! And, and it was a, I have to admit, the first couple of months it was a facade because I was really still angry. Like how can they take eighth grade away from me because of a teacher? And I knew all the background why they took it away. But I said, no, it's not about that, Fonda. It's not about you and your ego. It's about you being a change agent for whatever student, if they put you down in kindergarten and they could have, they had that power. And I was certified 
um, from in from nursery school all the way up through secondary. So they could have done anything they wanted. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. To this day, I believe that Man Carey kept me in his school because I was bringing positivity to his school. Mm. So don't get rid of the teacher who's bringing stuff and the parents love her and the, and the kids love her. We can't do that. That, that wouldn't be politically correct. But slap her on the, on, the, on the wrist because she disrupted a powerful teacher. How, yep. dare, how dare she get so uppity? Mm. Doesn't she know her place? As an African-American Muslim woman, you don't come in here talking back. Lord, I looked at some, when I was leaving from Beacon in 2013 to move down to Raleigh, I had everything in my little, uh, in my little safety net. And I read all those things and I read all those memos. And I said, this, this woman has lost her mind. How dare she, how dare she not be polite to a principal? Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and I didn't throw it out. I said, you know, one day I'm going to write a book. So I packed it. It's, it's here with me in um, North Carolina. And that's what I mean by receipts because I was calling out for help, for help Dave. I was calling out for help you guys, um, and I didn't get it. Instead, as an African-American Muslim woman, which are three underrepresented representatives, I got chastised. Yeah. And, you, yeah. and you know what my, and I'm gonna close, I know you guys have to interject here. Um, <laughs> and I, I get it, I get it. <laughs> uh, it's I all to you though, it's all new questions <laughs> to you. Yes. Uh, so one receipt, that I have in terms of a um, in my heart receipt, it's just, a, just amazing. All this friction that was between me and this teacher who couldn't stand me, all this friction, six months into being a seventh grade teacher, I was no longer a threat. Mm. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, he was speaking to me. He was relaxed around me. And it was really interesting how that changed. So. I say that God saved me by moving me down to seventh grade because I didn't have to deal with him in, anymore. I still was teaching. I was still running LBC and I was still um, being the leader, the person who had the clear vision as a leader, being the leader, the person who motivated, the person who inspired, the person who showed empathy and support. I was being that leader to the leaders by choice students. And yep. that's what it was all about. I was a leader in my classroom. And as um, long as I had the love and respect, we talked about respect earlier, as long, long as I had the love and respect of my students and their parents, um, the colleagues who supported Glassy, shame on you. <laughs> I hope one day you find it in your heart to realize that you should have supported even if you couldn't stand me, you should, you should have supported a program that I started where students were benefiting, you know, but you supported him. I forgive I have forgiven you long times ago. He didn't quite as a cat. And it, it may not sound like it because I'm, I'm emotional about it. I have forgiven Greg Glassy mm -hmm. because that helped me to be free. Forgiveness was for me. I know you couldn't stand me as an African-American woman who happened to be Muslim. I know that for a fact. I knew he couldn't stand me because um, kids love me. And all of a sudden, two years in, all types of kids and parents wanted to be in my class and in the program. I knew it. I knew it. There was this teacher there who did support me other than um, Dennis Prowser. Her name is Esther Glassberg. 
And again, I'm so naive. And, and, and thank God that you guys in your 20s and 30s, Dave. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> thank God you, you were not as innocent and naive as me because Esther Glassberg said, you know, Fonda, you got to be careful. And this is a Jewish, uh, Caucasian Jewish woman pulled me to the side. We're, we're friends. And she said, you got to be careful. And I said, what's going on? I thought maybe something was really happening. She said, mm-hmm. you have to be careful. You have a political base. And I'm like, political base? Well, what's too much? She gave me too much credit. Again, na- naivety. And she said, LBC, the students and the parents, it can become very intimidating for people who don't want to see you grow. Mm-hmm. She said, you will be seen, again, I'm sorry that I'm just sharing all this vulnerability. No, but it's true. Um, sorry. She said, you will be seen as many, you will be seen to many of the whites. And she mentioned Greg Glassie's name. She mentioned Edmund Carey's name as being uppity. Yep. Well, I'm bad at that. Can you explain what that, because I don't think people get it, what uppity is. Well, in all honesty, I didn't get it. But I thought uppity was a person you know, the general definition was a person who thought they were all that in a bag of chips. Like, yeah, or arrogant. Yeah. And I was yep. like, I'm not, I'm, well, I said, okay, I don't care if they see me as up. I know I'm not arrogant. I had a basic definition of it. But I went home that night and I researched it a little bit, the history. She was coming from a historical context, yeah. uh, a, a slavery context. And yep. sometimes if you went, if you got out of your place, the slave master will call you uppity. Oh, we got to get rid of this slave. Uppity and we're... One of those uppity ends. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Esther Glassberg had my back. And I realized that, man, this thing could get really nasty. And this was around the time that I got moved. <laughs> she knew she was talking about. I believe, and I would have to look at the email, of um, the memos, but I believe this was around the time I was moved from eighth grade to seventh grade. So they had, they had to slap me on the wrist so I can stay in my place. Mm. Anyway, it's all from the house to the field. Moving exactly, move me from the house to the field, so to speak, the the metaphorical. But again, um, Black Lives Matter. um, Those of us who survive the potential for being killed physically or spiritually, those of us who survive, you know, our hats off, our kimars off, our 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 whatever off to those (laughs) people because. We are strong. And I really, I knew I had forgiven, but I thought I had forgotten too. When Naja asked me something at the breakfast table, she was telling me something. All of a sudden I just broke down and I said, wow. I, there was a lot of biases at Ron Bell that I had covered up. Yeah. I'm no longer going to be silent. Like I said, I'm hoping I'm coming across polite, but I'm not being silent anymore. There we go. I, have to. I didn't do anything wrong. Was I a perfect teacher? Was I a perfect leader? Heck no. No way. Made a lot of mistakes. That's one of the definitions of being a good leader is when you could acknowledge the mistakes. Accountability. Accountability. Exactly. So no, I'm not, I'm not here to say that I could, couldn't have done some things differently. But the blatant racism and the blatant biases that occurred to me, um, I probably should have been spiritually dead or later for teaching or something but it didn't happen and that's what people and thank you first and foremost thank you for sharing that story i know that takes a lot to actually sit have that. 
Yeah. Have some tattoos. <laughs> that now, because that was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. It's, it's interesting. Cause like, as you get older, you start to realize different things that happen to you, whether it be at work or like, even in your childhood, like ever since all this has even occurred, someone posed a question to me, like, when did I recognize my race? Something as small as that. And I was like, damn, I never really thought about that. But then when I really think about it, it would be seventh grade, which is funny that you mentioned seventh grade where I had two teachers. It was like the silver, t- they, they like made a team for us. You know yeah. what I mean? And you were on the silver, you were on the you silver. Know I, you know where I was. I was definitely on the silver team. They put all the bad kids on there. Oh. I saw, no, I saw what they did. I saw, I saw, I like, I noticed I was, cause I would have some classes with like Eddie and Jimmy and like Catherine and Allison. No, actually not even Allison. I had some classes with like thinking back now, I would have my classes with all my friends that I hang out with outside of school, like the sciences with Miss Dowdy and Mr. Brown, but any class that was outside of that, I would have it with like people that went to Glenham. That's the only way at the time I could think of it. Played me. You know what I mean? Like that's the only at the, at the time, that's how I thought about it. But then when I really look back, so funny story, we figured out, cause I'm from, you know, I'm from Davies where I live when I was growing up. So it's like not impoverished, but, not everyone there has everything. Let's just put it like that. Um, and there's a bus. And this is something I didn't realize until actually doing this podcast with Naja and Connor. There was a bus that stopped past Looper's Court into Deer Lick Lane, like that area, where those, those townhomes mm-hmm. are. And they wouldn't allow any kids from Davies. It was Route 4. I, I'll never forget it. It was Route 4. They wouldn't allow any kids that weren't from that area be on that bus. Now, when I was younger, I was like, that's stupid. Like they're only 10 feet away from where we live. Like not more, I'm exaggerating. They were like 200 feet away, but we easily walked down there from the back of Davies by loopers and catch that bus. So we caught wind, we started jumping on the bus. They figured it out and kicked everyone off that was from Davies. But why was that bus route committed to that area? Not to the kids that are literally... These kids are walking 2.1 miles and we were walking 1.9 miles. So we're not worth right. to be able to take that bus ride. At the time, I didn't recognize that. Even I spoke about this on the podcast before when I was younger in like second grade, third grade, everyone was having violins. They gave me a flutophone. I couldn't take nothing home. I could play the drums. Anyone want to try out for the drums? I put my hand up for some reason, never picked. You know what I mean? But I could participate in chorus because it didn't take any, I'm not taking anything from the school where they think it might not come back based uh-huh. on my address. I even remember a time in seventh grade again, I saw the information they sent home something because I probably did something bad. And it showed like the, the nationality of me and it was black. And I questioned, I was like, well, I'm white too. Why does it only say black? And they're like, we just go with the majority. And it's like, wait, what? You really have and that's a microaggression. Like, what do you mean the majority? I could identify, but at the time I wasn't present enough in myself, understanding the actual moments that were occurring. Right. I was thinking, you know, what's for lunch the next day? Or right. what, what am I going to do? Where am I going to ride my bike with my friends? But looking back at it, those are things that were built into the school system for right or wrong. Um, they were trying to keep a certain way of being. And there were people, we were one of the most diverse 
schools that I know of that I've ever seen with a group of friends where it just wasn't rolling like that, but they figured out a way throughout the, the different teams that they had, the different clubs that they had to separate it. And it was just unfair. Did yeah. the, when you're talking about the bus route, this is in elementary school or? No, this was seventh grade. That's when I realized something was different. That's when it clicked. That's so, when I realized not color. I realized being from Davies was different. And it's geographics too. Exactly. So I'm trying to visualize if I'm, if we're going down the road as if I'm going to the riverfront, right? Loopers, yep. Davies over here. You're talking about those houses that are on the left. To, the uh, left. Dennis. You just go straight. Yeah. Where uh, Donuts lives. Yeah. They picked it, up the bus right there at the corner. Right there at the corner. And they wouldn't let you. They wouldn't let them. They found the only, out about it. The only reason they found out is because there was an accident where the side mirror got ripped off. A bus did that. So they had everyone write their names down for insurance purposes. So we all wrote our names down because if we lie, they're just going to like suspend us or something. Yeah. So we all wrote our name. Well, I don't even know if I wrote my name down, but they all had us going around writing <laughs> our names down to identify who's on the bus. And these are small things that they did, especially it's not far. We can walk there. Why can't we take the bus? No, we have to. We literally had to walk no matter what winter, spring, fall. We had to walk until Christian Quelo got a car and then we jumped in his car and got a ride. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't make sense. And that's something so small, but I think the, the bigger picture is there's things that are done to us that we never realize. And as we go through this time, we spoke about it earlier, coming through this, going through these struggles, realizing, all right, that wasn't right, but I'm going to make sure now that I'm present, I'm going to make sure that never happens again. Yes. And the people who made these <coughs> systems are, you know, I don't love generalizations for anything, but men, many of them are staying silent or adding to the conversation as if it's a shock, but they knew what they were doing. And I just, things are happening. And it's been what, a week and a half since we've seen some of this, this outcry of support, but we have to be sharing these stories, right? Because with that politeness, we've kept it inside mm -hmm. and people still aren't understanding it. People that I've grown up with, <coughs> whether it's adults, parents, or even people my age that I've known for 10 plus years are either choosing to be silent or are so confused because they just think, I, we, I mean, I know we're going to talk about it in the next podcast, but we heard that little girl who was calling out her, her parents and, and the parents were saying, no, but these people want to stay like that. All they want to do is be hood and ghetto and they're given multiple opportunities and they don't take them, they, us on this call, they're not hearing about the seventh grader who just wants to get home safe. Nope. Like all of these little stories, I wish that we could just take everyone's experience, which is kind of what's happening on social media, but everyone's yep. experience and put it into a bowl and have all white people sit in that bowl, sit in that discomfort because mm -hmm. that's where change is going to come. Now I understand that that is what's happening. There are many people who are allowing themselves to be uncomfortable and yep. recognizing their bias. And quite frankly, the older generation is in the next five, 10, 15, 20 years, they're dying off. But what did they teach their kids? There's many people who are, who will hear your story and think, oh, well, well, it's probably a safety thing and just keep it moving and then go to the Hamptons. It's just like, I don't yep. understand it. Yeah. What up, Alex? See you in the background. <laughs> she ran away. <laughs> edit that, edit that. Yeah, I just, yeah. I wish I could say that I'm surprised, but... I'm not because these are our lived experiences. I just need people to keep speaking up. Then you have the, you know, 
then you have the standpoint of it's not our job to educate, right? And part oh, of the education God, is I can go. experience is not. I can go on that all day. I've been talking to so many people where they, it's gotten to the point where like, I try to be as mo- the most respectful person. And that's just by like, I just try to treat everyone with the respect that I expect. But then you get into these conversations with people and they're like, where, where do you want to look like? Where, where do you, where did you see that? It's like, do your own reason. I, I'm not here to educate you. I'm not here to, I'm not even here to change your mind. That's, that's the biggest thing. You have to change your own mind on how you think. All I'm going to do is bring facts to you. And they're not going to be doctored facts from the onion.com or people magazine. No, I'm going to bring real facts to you with real results from it. And then you make the decision whether or not you want to believe me because I am no longer here to make you feel better about yourself and tell you, you know, I I know you didn't mean it. You said the N word in front of me. I know you didn't know. This is why we don't say that word. This is why white people can't say this word. You're not going to affect me by saying it because I am not that. So the point is you can, you can say whatever you want, but you need to educate yourself. And before, like before what happened with George Floyd, that wasn't recognized. People were still using those words in their households between themselves. No, now, now if you say it, something really might, you, you are just not educating yourself because it's everywhere. There, you can't turn a screen on without seeing someone say Black Lives Matter. You can't hide from this. The importance of our culture. I was actually, I don't mean to go on a tangent, but there was oh. a young lady speaking at a rally, like not a rally, um, a protest. And it was so profound what she said. She said, we have taken the time to learn your English, learn your por- por- Portuguese, to learn your Spanish. Like we've taken the time to learn everyone's culture as a people because black people are everywhere in the world, but no one has taken the time to learn black culture. And they have the luxury of knowing where their family history is from. And some of us do not. And we talk about this all the time. I just found out this week, my family was from North Carolina. I'm like, dad, you've known this. Yeah. You've known this, this whole, he's, I was like, dad, you think this is a place where our family's from? He's like, nah, man, we from North Carolina. I said, what you mean? Like dad, but to my dad, like the way he's thinking about it, he doesn't know that's something important to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like those things are important. As you get older, you want to know where you come from. You want to know what type of bloodline you have, regardless of what it is, because I'm changing narratives every day. And that's what everybody is out there doing right now. We're changing narratives. We're speaking up and we're making sure people know we're here, regardless of what, like this is human. This is not Black Lives Matter. Always. It's not all like, cool, we hear you. But right now. As we saw the meme go around, we're the house on fire. We need the water. You don't need, need water. The water. You need the water. Go off. It's all right. It's okay. We're not going to do nothing. We're going to be okay. We're going to live in harmony and peace as much as we can. We're going to find that point and we're going to fix ourselves as well while going through this process right now, recognizing everyone's faults. So, David, can I go back a few yep. minutes about the N word? Yeah. Uh oh. that is such a a powerful word for me i'll never forget when ali was in second grade he was he was at glenham and i won't say the student's name because he's no longer with us but it was a student who um 
Ali came home and he said, mommy, student A called me the N-word and you told me that we're not supposed to be called the N-word. So anyway, I went to Ali's teacher at the time and I said, student A said the N-word. The teacher said that, the teacher happened to be African-American too, at Glenn, by the way. And um, so she said she would talk to, to that student and his parents, X, Y, and Z. It was um, mm, kind of swept under the carpet yep. and covered up. I want to talk about that N-word, and I know it might be another podcast for the N-word, but you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, Dave, you said white people should never use that word. That's what you said, right? That's what I said, yes. That's what you said. And I'm here to say, and I, and I, I really stand strongly on this. Go off. That I know you do. I do. No one should use that word because what we're doing as we use, and I'm saying we, I don't use it, but I'm, I'm being respectful. When we use that word, we're giving those very people who we don't want to use it, we're giving them a little subtle license. Mm. Hey, and guess what? I have a real life situation when I moved over from Rombout to um, Van Wyke in Wappingers and I taught there. They were using up and down and up and up and up and down. Wow. And I, yeah, they were. And you know what? As I called some students into my classroom and as the principal at the time, or the assistant principal at the time, it, it was assistant principal at the time, got wind of it. He called me down to try to help fix the problem. You know what this grown principal <laughs> said to me? Whoa. And it wasn't Steve Shuket, it was his assistant at the time. He said to me, I, I, don't, I don't feel comfortable correcting the African-Americans when they say it, because from what I understand, um, it's okay for African-Americans to say it, but I really, what do you think I should do with student B who happened to be Caucasian? What do you think I should do in terms of disciplining him? I said, you should d- discipline both of them. Yeah, I see. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. And that student said to the principal, well, I heard student Z say it. He says it all the time. I thought it was okay. Now, whether the student thought it was okay because he heard students these days and he heard it on rap music and this and that, I'm not in his heart. But I know that we give them a subtle license to say it because we say it all the time. And I get it. I grew up where, <coughs> where you know, people said the word and we said it as a term of endearment. Yeah, we're claiming it. We're claiming right. it. I, and I taught my kids, you know, this N-word is this, this N-word is that. I remember Sharif was about, I want to say nine at the time. And I went down to Elmsford, New York to visit some, um, some, some family members. And my stepmother said, oh, oh, Fadi, you got one of the smart little ends. <laughs> Referring to Sharif. He yeah. said, yeah, smart little end. Sharif didn't say anything. Again, being respectful. As soon as we got in the car, he said, mommy, you told, you told me that we, we're not supposed to use that N-word. Why did um, Jima say it. And I had to explain to this little nine-year-old boy that as wrong as it is, you're going to have some African-Americans, some people of color say it, understand in this household, we don't say it, we don't think it's right, but they're going to say it and they're going to justify it by saying it's a term of endearment. I say, let's be consistent. Let's be positive leaders. And let's stop with the B, the BS, with it's okay. Because if it is okay to say it in your home, I'm not judging you. I'm not judging you. I'm not judging people who say it in their home. Good. But when you start saying it so the world could hear it. I see what you're saying. A problem. And again, and I, this is no judgment, Dave. I'm just saying. No. 
Like, how do you how do you really justify? I remember having debates in my classroom at Rombau, eighth grade, um, Stefan, the Stefan Bells of the world. That would have been Sharif's eighth grade year. And we had a group of students on one side, a group of students on other, because they used it so frequently. I called so many kids in the classroom, kids of, of color in the classroom, and say, uh, 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 Caucasian kids. Uh, uh. So I said, you know what? Let, let this be a teachable moment. We are going to debate it. So we had the debate set up. They did their little research. I remember Stefan Bell, he was, he was on the side that it was okay to say it. <laughs> wait to tear into his argument. Anyway. So no. So that's and that's important. Like I'm the first one to admit when I was younger, to me, that was something that was said to your point of endearment. I, I was like, to me, I'm taking back the power from it. Mm-hmm. As you do get older, like right now, I do try, like I'm not gonna front, I still use it. Like I'm the first one to admit it. I always know, and I try my best not to use it to your point in front of my white friends too. And to your point, encourage encouraging them to say, not encouraging them, but by my usage of it, I'm writing that that G card where it's okay for them to say. So I wholeheartedly agree with you. I'm doing better. I'm not going to say I'm perfect, but that's something that I am trying to rid of. But at the same time, even just saying black two, three years ago was weird. So now I do insert black. You know what I mean? Like my black men, my, because most of the time when I'm in text messages with friends, we're like hyping each other up. Like, oh, <laughs> no, nah, you got more money than me. You know what I mean? You want them rich, but you rich now. You, you got all the money. <laughs> <laughs> like we would use that. And, and to your point, like we do need to, like even me, I need to learn as well. Like I want to use that mindset now where I don't want anyone to, I don't want to take away from who I am as a person. So there will be times where I use it. Because to me, every time I use it, that's like, I'm passionate. And that's when I curse sometimes. As you can see, I have not cursed. New Year's um, resolution. Shout out to me. Not a resolution, just respect. For me. Um, <laughs> Yo, he keeps trying um, to tell me it's not his resolution. Come on now. So it's, it's, it's times where you do have to recognize there's things that we need to do as black people, where we need to check ourselves as well to know that, all right, what are things that are, we, we shouldn't be apologetic for using it, but understanding the right time to use it when we're within our own safe space, I guess you could say. And that's a good point. I'm curious when, when you were teaching for, did you find, is the reason why you think that people were so like, when you're awesome already, but going in, I'm thinking about the time when you were a new teacher. Is it that you were the only teacher of color? Do you think? That's I'm curious, but I didn't want to interrupt your conversation, but I'm thinking about the times where I like relate to more teachers. I can rattle them off my mind because they had more the way I thought about it. They had they knew they saw me pretty much. They, they were down. Yeah, they knew like Mrs. Olamarks. That's someone I don't know what she was doing in the background, but that was the lady that told me I need to be in theater mm-hmm. because I knew at the time I was so dramatic. You know what I mean? And that's someone that actually saw me. And like knew I wasn't going to get high grades at all, but I would always go to her class and make sure that I sat in there because she treated me like a human. I don't know what she, how she felt about black people or just kids in general, but she made me feel safe when I would go to her class. Yeah. Do you think that's something because of your color or who you, I know it will be something obviously because you're an awesome teacher, but I was curious about that aspect. Yeah. Um, 
I can't pretend to know what went into the kids thinking, but let's face it, I was the first teacher, most certainly woman of color, teaching a mainstream class, English. Mm. Um, there was Mr. Allen who taught special ed. Um, I was the first Muslim ever to teach. No. Well, I shouldn't say that the first obvious Muslim, the way they hired me is the way I am. Catch me as I am or don't hire me at all. I think there was an allure like because um, because I was in a classroom as an African-American woman who's Muslim. But I think it's more than that. I think kids, I mentioned this before, that students, young people recognize real. Real recognize real. Real recognize real. And, and they saw the thoroughness in me. I believe that they saw that I cared. Mm. And I don't want to use care as a little cliche. Oh, she no, cares. They felt you. They felt you. They, they felt where you were coming from. Yeah. And my philosophy has always been, and it remains, that you have to, before you can teach them, you have to reach them. Yeah. So I was the teacher, and I think about it now, I was, I was really clearly out of my mind. Some <laughs> of the things I did. My first week, I stood up on the table. I was teaching sentence structure. I stood up on the desk. You know, remember room 117? It was a science room. And it had okay. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a a yeah. You were in my study hall. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I still ain't in OBC, though. was studying. Yeah, OBC. That, that's next. Oh, we don't that's talk next. about that. But I remember, I, I was flexible now that I think about it, because those, those science lab tables were really tall. And I said... You did a box jump? You, bo- well, you jumped up? You did a box I, jump? I, I don't think I did a box jump. But somehow I got up on that table. <laughs> My abs were a lot stronger than they are today. But I remember, I, 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 did the, I, um, I reviewed their sentence structure and their paragraphs and their essays the night before, and I came back and I said, these sentences are so bland. You need color. And as I'm saying, you need color, you need pizzazz. I was on the table. Mm. I was on the table demonstrating. That yeah. was not in my lesson plan. But that's something they responded to. Whoa, they said this teach. I don't know what they said. <laughs> and I would say things like, you got to make your good to bet to end your better best. Uh, hey. all hey. of those tests. <laughs> you look good. Uh. And all you really did was what you should. Uh. Yeah. I can I get a beat, y'all. A little beat. Hey. I those unorthodox things again, really naive because when you think about it, you know, if they really wanted to get rid of the mixtape, like, drop it soon. They want you to stay on track, anyway. I believe that they recognize the thoroughness of me. Um, I touched them because I had students in my class, the Marisol Rivera's of the world. I love Marisol, who um, who, who ha- went through some trying times, Lydia Rivera, they went through some trying times. But they always came to my class with respect. Always. Fast forward to up to five years ago, Marisol um, hit me up in, um, in my, uh, what do you call it? The private message. The DMs. They go DMs. down. What <laughs> you said? How would you call it? <laughs> private personal. Yo, and real quick, your she used to say when somebody would um, add her on Facebook, oh, Naja. Connor, Connor befriended me. <laughs> I made a friend today. <laughs> Connor befriended me on Facebook. David befriended me. There we go. So someone hit you up on your private message. So yeah, and she's and she wow, she went in. She said, Miss Muhammad, I just want you to know that that your classroom, I had her in 1993. Your classroom was always a safe place for me. Yep. 
So when you asked me, what was it about me? And she went into a lot of stuff that I didn't even, wasn't aware that I did. Um, she's one example because when she was 14, I called her out in the hallway. She was looking sad one day. And I said, what's up, man? And she said, a lot of stuff. I don't think I'm going to live to be 16. Yep. Now here I am, a grown woman, 37 years old, reduced to tears because I'm like, who at 14 thinks they're not going to live to be 16? So I asked her, I said, what makes you think that? And she said, well, if AIDS doesn't get me something else, will. Mm -hmm. So it's so, it, it warms my heart and I got to chill just knowing that fast forward to five years ago, and I pray that Marisol is, is doing well now, but fast forward to five years ago, she hit me up in the DM box. And she told me, she thanked me for making the class a safe place for her, for wanting to come to school before me. And I've got so many Marisol stories. You do. She asked me, what was it? I believe it was because they really, those kids, and even to this day in North Carolina, they see the genuineness and they know I care. And I will take the risks as a leader will take for them. Yeah. You, you can't fake that. Mm -mm. You can't fake that. It's just like a baby or a puppy or a dog knows they can feel energy. Right, they yes. know when they're safe and they know when they're not. And I'm talking about babies and dogs, and I'm talking about children and teenagers mm -hmm. and adults. And adults. Um, as time goes on, some people get better at being performative, but you can't fake those environments. And and I want to, because you're sharing a lot, and it's important for whoever may end up listening, because there are still people who don't believe that any of this exists. Mm -hmm. They believe that, oh, it couldn't have been too bad. And also we talked personally, but when you are that person who is viewed as strong and for the record, being vulnerable doesn't mean you're not strong. Being vulnerable actually makes you stronger. But when big you're that person, Big myth in, in our black culture, big myth, yes. being vulnerable. Big, yes. Big, yes. 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 But when you're someone who's seen as strong or seen as positive or the light, people don't know all that you go through. And I think it's important to hear your story because you have touched so many lives who have gone through similar experiences and they need to know that you did too and you carried on, but also putting it into now and putting it into action. We could reminisce. Reminisce is not the right word because you're not reminiscing. The painful times is not reminiscing. Right. It's, it's, it's unclogging. Those are, those it's, are real. Purging. it's purging. The, the happy times is reminiscing, but we could live in the past all we want, but in terms of creating a better tomorrow, parents need to know who's teaching their kids. Just like I said, you can't, you you can't fake these safe environments. The the names that you mentioned, who did teach a lot of people, whether they tried to fake it or not, language, language expresses mindset. So if they're using language, if they're teaching you that Black History Month is not important and accepted, just like they taught the kids who looked like me, and we somehow rose above. They taught the kids who looked like Connor, and those kids are now parents to teenagers who look like Connor, and those teenagers are either making noise. Or they're like, well, my parents never told me that. And we still, to this day, this was, you just said 1993, I was one years old. I'm 27 now. Most of the friends my age are 28. This was almost 30 years ago and 30 and 40 years ago. And it still happened. You have these school systems where kids don't feel safe. I, I'm not going to pretend I have nearly as much experience as you, but I am an educator. And I remember having a fourth grader who is now in sixth or seventh, I mean, sixth or seventh grade talk about how they don't listen to us and we come here because we can be ourselves. It's not just about the fun drama games because I wasn't the black woman who was a core subject. I was just, I was seen as a second recess, but they came and in my class, they did writing. I was practically an English teacher. They wrote and they said, no one else listens to us. And this was two years ago, three years ago. And that's a shame that kids felt safe with you, which is beautiful. 
but they didn't feel safe around other teachers. And that's still happening because, you know, we heard about that, that woman, Amy Cooper, who called the cops on Christian Cooper, no relation as he was peacefully watching, you know, birds Mm -hmm. because he tried to get her to follow the rules. Everyone jumped and assumed that Amy Cooper, of course, she's a Trump supporter. Of course, she's a bigot. Now I'm not going to be, I'm not going to break down what bigot means, but she's a liberal. I think people think that because they vote for Obama or because their grandson is black or because insert whatever thing that you say to justify your feelings here, they think that because they are donating money that they don't have behaviors that need to be put on the line. The fact that things haven't changed in classrooms between when you were starting out to when you ended to right now is not jarring. It's frankly dangerous. 1993. That's the first thing that stood out to me. We still having the same conversation from 19 conversation. We have kids who are scared to go into other classrooms. We have kids that we know who don't think they'll make it till 16. One of those reasons are our race. It's, it's disgusting and it's unsafe. Honestly, there's a lot of people I know that, that think like that, like do you get to a certain age? Like when I was, it was just cause I was younger and I wasn't understanding and when I graduated college, I turned 21, like, all right, something could happen to me now. You know what I mean? That's just like a natural thought. And it wasn't something that I was taught by anyone. It was just what I was seeing and the confidence that I had in myself, which obviously my self-esteem was lower at that time. Yes, now I did something that not many people do that look like me. I have my bachelor's degree. But to me, that was like one of the tops. So I was like, fuck, excuse me, shoot. I was thinking like, was this the only, was this the only, honestly, this was my thought. Was this the only plan that God had for me? Like I just reached something that no one is else. No one else has ever reached that I really know. So now that looked like me. So now I've reached this peak. Is this all that is intended for me moving forward? Like, what do I do now? Because I knew what I was working towards. I was working towards my bachelor's degree, went to college on a whim. Miss Bohemus, shout out to Miss Bohemus. On a whim, completely. Should not be in college at all. But somehow I got in. I get that goal. I, I obtained that goal, right? That that a goal that I set out. Now what do I do? Is this all for my life? Like, is that that's how little I may have thought of myself at the time because I wasn't exposed to enough. And there's something that you said, Naja, where it came to what our parents taught us. That is important, like for everybody's culture. Like there's some things that black parents teach their black kids that some people don't agree with. There's some things that we always we hear, we see it now. White people teach their kids. Everyone teaches their kids the way they see the world. Mm-hmm. But it, to me, just David Quill, it was important for me to understand how I actually view the world. Unlearn some things. Unlearn. Unlearn. Because it's okay to unlearn. Like People don't realize like there's the left and then there's the right. All this politics, political, everything's political, but... It's okay to like, all right, I see what you're saying. But if I say I see what someone on the right is saying, they automatically assume I hate all black people. No, they might just be talking about taxes and I made a little money and I want a little money in my pocket. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be, or the left, they want, you know, everyone to have healthcare. I don't know if I, I don't know enough yet. I think it sounds like a beautiful idea. I don't want anyone to suffer in this world. So yeah. if they get healthcare, but I need to also do my own research, not, fo- not follow blind. Right. All help ain't help. And that's the one thing that you're seeing right now. Like you got to pay attention. It's cool right now. It's trendy. Yeah. Post them pics. 
educate yourself. Understand what people are talking about. But I want to see where you at in July. I'm getting you to July. Yes. And what are you going to do? What action are you taking, right? Don't post yeah. a black square on Instagram. What are you going to do? Exactly. And it's not even about the act. Like, keep it up. Be out there if you really want to be out there. I walked by a couple of my friends that went to a protest. I wasn't attending that protest. You know what I mean? I was inspired. And these were friends that were not of color. I was like, damn, they're doing more for me right now than I'm doing. For-. But then I realized, like, I've been doing this. Exactly. Everyone, that's the difference. But you don't want to gloat about it. You don't want to talk about what you've been doing. It's like, all right, what else? Do- now that it's now that the spotlight is on, how am I going to take it to the next level? What's yeah. the next move? How do we get creative? How do we get our word out? How do we get people to understand? How do we be that middle ground for people that don't understand? And that's what we use this podcast for. So long story short, I love y'all. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to, so in terms of action, I love you too. I love you for real, for real, for real. It's all love. Um, it's uncomfortable. It is. And I said it already. It's uncomfortable to have these conversations with people, especially when you're close to them if you're calling someone out or calling them in. I like someone use the word calling you in um, because we're calling you in to actually care. And I just want to, you know, Connor, I always bring you in. I always bring you in, but especially I'm, I'm changing my essential oils. Listen, it's also important to take care of yourself right now. So I'm changing essential oils as we're unclothing some things, but I want to hear what you're doing. A couple months ago, we talked about social media and taking and he was doing it. And you know, and you've been doing that, Connor. And also it's interesting to see that social media is really helping to teach a lot of people. So it is working today, but that's a conversation for another day. Another day. What else can be done? Connor, you mentioned like offline on our text that you, you've mentioned a couple of family members who are coming around and I know that you're doing the work, but from a white man, male perspective right now, what are you seeing in your friend groups and your family and just personally as well? We were talking briefly about this last night, but I, I think a, a huge thing that is coming out of this is uh, like just the spread of knowledge, one, on, on social media. I can't, you basically can't find any post that isn't about Black Lives Matter and some kind of either bail fund, uh, some articles, some massive, you know, Google spreadsheet with like 4,000 links and resources on it. I mean, it's literally just everywhere and it's making it it's so accessible and easy for people to just like tap a couple buttons and be like and learn something new that they that they didn't know before. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's like exposing, uh, you know, people who you maybe were, didn't know were, you know, felt a certain type of way or maybe they you hadn't heard them say it. But now they're deciding, oh, this is the time for me to speak up for what I believe in. And, and now it's like, oh, OK. So you kind of are figuring out like basically who you can kind of trust about this. Um, but on, on your point, Naja, about feeling uncomfortable, uh, uh, I think recently, I mean, I went to a protest in, in New York last week. Um, it was on Friday, I believe, the one at the Barclays Center. Mm. And it was the first protest that I had been to that got violent. Um, i been to protests before, mainly all peaceful, just marching with signs. Um, but this one, you know, was, I felt physically like unsafe and like, and scared, honestly. I was, you know, I, I hadn't been in an environment like that before. But I think it's just like I've been thinking about it a lot. And that's just like a little taste of, you know, someone who lives 
in a neighborhood, a dangerous neighborhood or a person of color who lives in a, in an area. Like I just got a little, you know, it was an hour or something total where I was like, I had felt that feeling, a feeling that I'm not very familiar with, but is so familiar with so many people. And it's just representative of like this entire situation. Like, yeah, the looting and, and the, and the riots make people scared, but like there are people who are scared for no good reason all the time. And for, for privileged people to experience that fear for like, you know, a, a few days or a day, like that's going to make them perk up and, and be like, Oh, okay. Let me, let me listen. Yeah. And like you said, white people speaking with their family members, it's another level of being uncomfortable that you need to subject yourself to because yeah it's not going to happen to us. We need to, you know, we need to put that on ourselves. We being like white people, basically. Yeah. It, I think what stuck out to me was definitely about the, the first protest that got violent. And I don't even want to get into that as much. I don't, you guys can, if you'd like to, because I, of course, I'm, Islam is peace. Right. So I believe in peace and I believe more for peaceful protests, but for you to say that that was uncomfortable, right? A lot of people are talking about how having conversations are uncomfortable, but that was uncomfortable for you because you were scared, right? And, but to, I, I, you, you taught me a word recently and I can't think of it right now, but for you to have the maturity, emotional maturity to understand that you were scared, but in that moment, the, not wherewithal, but that works too. For you to have, have the wherewithal to understand that you were scared in that brief moment or that brief hour or two hours. And that's how many people of color, namely black people are feeling every day of their lives. Right. I read something where, um, someone, someone who's a senior shout Oh, every time we say names, we usually say shout out. So we gotta go back through all your names and shout them out. <laughs> shout out to, to my girl, Lizzie Frischling, um, former camper of mine who is just graduating, um, in a few weeks she's been uncomfortable and not knowing what to say and what to learn or unlearn. But she, um, she just mentioned about being Jewish in America and, and trying to figure all this out. She always thought, Oh, well, because we went through the Holocaust, we absolutely know how black people feel, but she is unlearning that. And she's young. So she learned that from somebody and she reshared someone's post that stuck out to me. And it was that when they get pulled over someone who might be Jewish, but looks white, right? Or a white Jewish person, they might get pulled over and they're nervous because they're thinking, man, how I might get a ticket. How much does that ticket cost? What are my parents going to say? And Lizzie was like, this is now giving me a new perspective because while I'm nervous that I might get in trouble or grounded, one of my black friends is nervous that they might lose their life. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's not new to me. That's every time I've gotten pulled over with friends, sometimes it's been just because I was in the car. But to see the perspective of an 18 year old who's been taught for her entire life that, you know, equality exists, that was interesting and beautiful. And I'm proud of that. And I'm proud of you in this moment. I know you don't need me to say I'm proud of you because you want to do this work. But for you not to be like, oh, I'm so scared. It's a protest for you to have the wherewithal to understand that there are people who live their lives scared just walking down the street. That's real. That's real. I mean, it, it was totally like, a, it was something that I learned from that moment too. You know, like I went out there in support of the cause and I wasn't expecting to wind up in that situation. That wasn't, that wasn't my intent. That wasn't what I expected, but I, it caused me to reflect a lot on 
during and after. And it was a, a you know, a formative moment for me personally. And I, and I know the friends that I was with as well. It was like, we were all, we've been talking about it uh, since. And the protests here last night, they, they didn't, there was no, or very, very little um, in Providence right now. Um, and there was a, a big one yesterday and last night and it was, uh, it was good. It didn't, there was like limited violence, which was great. Yeah. Um, like you guys were saying before, it's, it's, it's not your job to educate people. Um, that's, you know, our job. It's like white, white people need to start taking on some of this burden and really just listening is I think the most, like, that's the best starting point. Cause if you're not going to listen, like you said, you have receipts in your heart. Like some people want, some people want like evidence. It's like, you're not, you're not going to get that. You need to listen. You need to listen to what people are saying. That's the only way that Preach, brother. I understand. Preach, brother. Yo, Connor, text that to us real quick because you know I'm put that in the description. Some people want evidence, but you're not going to get that. You need to listen. That's real. It's a, it's a feeling. Like, it's not like, to your point, it's not about, it is about black people being treated differently. Like, nationwide. Like, when have you seen a global, this is not like, the media will let you know, oh, people are, all 50 states are, no, people globally are outside for black lives. That's, that hits different. Never in a million, like we have Trump as president and people are celebrating black people in America. You see what I'm saying? Before they were writing because Trump was president. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's that impact in itself. I wasn't around for the times that MLK and Malcolm X Million Man March, Black Panther Party. I don't know what was going on globally and what I'm going to do. I'm going to educate myself to figure that out. But everyone you talk to, like, this is different. And it's different. It's not something that we can put on paper and say, this is why it's different. Right. It's a different feeling for it because now we're able to show what is actually happening in these communities, the way projects were built. Mm. My dad, was, I was talking to my pops the other day, Big Dave, shout out to Big Dave. Shout I was talking about I was talking to my pops and he was like, there are buildings in the city that were built. I believe there was a GI bill where people were supposed to come home and people of color were not allowed to get these loans to build houses that they thought they were like, yo, we about to, we good. But people in my own home don't even like me and banks are redlining these areas. Yes, that, that does not happen. Let me say this clear because a lot of people have feedback on it. That does not happen anymore. Redlining is not a part of a bank's process on delivering loans to people. When you redline, they, they mapped out an area. They let people know who can get loans from which area and who couldn't for anyone at home. But people that were not allowed to get those loans are our parents and our grandparents and, grandpa and their parents. So if you want to talk about wealth inequality, mm -hmm. We have started off at a point in 19, I believe it was 1951, I want to maybe say. I don't know that I'll get the facts straight. But at that point, once that was waived, then people could start begin to get loans. But then you forget those same people that were just telling people no now have to turn around and potentially say yes. I can't put that on paper. That's impossible for me to put on paper that they're going to automatically, oh, the new rules, got it. They're not, I'm not racist anymore. I, I don't, I don't have any prejudice towards these people because of their color. Cause that's also missed. It's very, people are being very prejudiced 
as well. Right. So you can't put those things on paper. And this is why people are mad. There have been laws in place. People always argue the laws are for everybody. That's cool. But who's implementing those laws? Humans. Yeah. That's, That's the point. It's humans. It's not, we're not, we're not robots. As much as they're trying to make us into robots, people, I hate when I get a text box and I don't get a real answer. I just ask questions on it, how their day's going. Then it says, do you want to fulfill this order? No, <laughs> how's your day going? No, you're a robot. How can I talk to a real person? Like these are real humans making real decisions based on how they interpret a law or a rule. Yeah. And we can't expect those things to change unless we educate them. And that's why I'm proud. Connor, you're my friend. We've been doing this. Like you've been on it before that. Yes. And, that, and, that, and I think that's a lot. What's going to start coming out eventually is like praising the allyship of people because that's going to keep people going. Mm-hmm. When we start recognizing the people that are looking out for us, because yeah. yeah. that's how when you get that positive reinforcement, you're doing the right thing. This is the right, like what is more righteous than stopping people from being killed and you have an opportunity to do that like that just to me that i'm flabbergasted at times yeah but i digress i love it (laughs) this is so good obviously you know me usually way sooner i get us back on track in terms of time but this was important and we could keep going maybe we just have to do a part two and i'm sure we'll do a part three four five and six as well um thank you for to everyone for sharing thank you for being on thank you for having and um, really, you know, having, I can't even say tell all because that was probably 25%, but cleansing because a part of the process is cleansing and healing and accepting. Um, what we do like to do with every guest that we have on, we have some some questions that we, we ask and a couple of little things that we do. Um, so I'm going to ask you those questions and we want to hear your, your raw, honest answers. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first question is, what does the phrase underrepresented representative mean to you? Well, underrepresented means it's insufficient or inadequate representation. There's not enough of a particular group to represent. <laughs> she <tried> to <laughs> <cut> bars. <laughs> okay. So the phrase underrepresented representative means that it's inadequate, insufficient, insufficient amounts of people to represent a particular group. Okay. And when are times that you felt particularly underrepresented in life. You shared, I think, a lot but pinpointing. What are times you felt underrepresented? So not attacked, mm-hmm. but underrepresented. Um, pretty much all my life. I mean, 64 years is a long time. 64? Um, right? 64 years Where? She thought you was 21. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've, in my adult life, Pretty much, I've always been the other. Mm. So I walk into a school building, I'm the other. There's no representation of of me in there. So you you learn how to fake the funk and you blend and you become a part of the other other. Mm. So there's no representation of me in the school system. When I worked in a private company, uh, General Foods, there was no representation. So I've I've been the other especially as an African-American woman who happens to be Muslim, you know? Yeah, a lot. Um, yeah. And that's why we have this, right? Underrepped reps. The underrepresented have to step up and start repping for others now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one day yeah. we're going to be the representative representatives. That's the goal. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the goal. That's, that's the goal. goal. And um, 
the 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 last question is what makes you a leader? Mm. Well, I mentioned certain key factors that make in general make people leaders. I talked about um being able to inspire, being able to motivate. I think for me personally, it's the empathy mm. that I have for others and my ability to listen. Mm. So I'm listening. I can readily feel what a person is going through. And then I can lead with my heart. And um, you know, a lot of times people say that's not good, you know, lead with your heart, there's too much emotion. You need it. Uh, yeah. It's needed. It's needed. I wish we had that right now. It's so oh my God. Like, I could go on for days about that. People would like work in professional buildings and they're like, oh, you know, business, business. This is all personal. Everything you say to me is personal. Yeah. I'm not going to take it that way, but what you're saying is personal. It's yeah. the work that I am doing. I just had to, my bad. I'm fired that's, up. That's good. That, that's, that's pretty much it. I, and I think that's what has helped to save me. Um, my spiritual base. You know, I used to walk into different buildings and the first thing I, I before my, my right foot would go into the door, I would say Bismillah, which is an Arabic term that means with the name of God, because I felt I was always, any building I go into, I feel like I'm, I'm going in and meeting up with the enemy. Because there's no representation in that building that has my back. So I go into these buildings and I invoke the name of God because I need that protection. I seek refuge with him from these shaitanic forces that are in there. There's so much evil. There's so much evil out there. And there's so much um, underrepresentation. So like Dave said, as my role as a leader, um, I want to represent for young people all that's missing. Not, all is such an exact term. A lot of the stuff that's missing. Yeah. As much as I can give to them, I want to give to them so that they know that someone has their back. Give to them what I feel as though I never had. And I feel as though I've always, um, no one has ever had my back. I've always been underrepresented. And, um, and it's not a whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't, I don't mean the, there's nothing victimized here. Um, that's my strength. That's my um, kryptonite, so to speak, <laughs> to, to work for young people and to represent them in the best light. That's beautiful. Um, all right, so we have a little segment that we like. I don't know. Maybe I'm a little likes it, but it's fun to me. I like it. You like what? it? All right, good. Yeah. Also, also. No, nah, that was not just heat check. She was <laughs> trying to see if we would want it. She was like, mm, I don't know. I think it's good, but y'all like it too? <laughs> I, need, I need a little encouragement to keep going. Yeah, you're right. No, he's so funny. No time to think. Recognizing bias. I like it. It's, it says every template says a sometime segment, and we do it every single time. So I got to do the sometime segment part. Who likes it? So without thinking... And I'm not going to say one word because I can't control what you say, but it's a fast response. It can be a word. It can be a phrase. It's not written. Respond to the word that I say. Uh, This is you. But if something comes up for anyone else in this moment, there are interruptions. It's fun. Respond to this. And if you have anything to add, Connor or David, you got it. All right. Ready? Three, two, one. Leader. By choice. Protest. Mm. (laughs) Love. Black. Honorable. Silence. Golden. 
Teacher. Love. Fruit. Delicious. Uppity. Bad. <laughs> ben and Jerry's. Love it. <laughs> Shout out to Ben and Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's, yo, dismantle white supremacy. Yeah. We need a sponsorship from them. Yo, for real. Well, I'm going to hit them up. Let's just do it. Now's the time. You know how many places I already applied you to? <laughs> I can send you the, I'll send you the emails after this. I've been trying I'll to get to <laughs> on your behalf. Yes. I love you. Trump. Can't stand him. Yes, I, and I just need to elaborate. I know it's one word, but mm-hmm. I okay. Don't no, I'm saying mm-hmm, I didn't. Oh. No, it's not, douche. Oh, I really get knots in my stomach. Mm. I think about him and what he's doing. I really, I will never say hate. It's just not going to say it. But I really can't stand him. Don't understand him. Don't understand the country for putting putting him in that office as number 45. And I, that's it. Can't mm-hmm. him for all those reasons. The destruction of America. Mm. Yeah, that, that wasn't even really <clears throat> put together that strongly anyway. That, that came over here on a lie anyway and stole from the natives anyway. That's a whole nother. Whole nother. Already, it was never, can't stand him. <laughs> Ally, friend, McDonald's, ale, <laughs> beef, double ale, children, love, music, love, n- n- the N word, livid, <laughs> David, love day, uh, you want to be on the board of LBC one day, he doesn't know it yet, <laughs> Naja. Oh, my heart goes pitter patter. Oh, <laughs> Connor, shout out to Connor. Connor, hope. <laughs> hope. I remain hopeful, meaning that hope when I see you, Connor. That's good. That's the first time, and I remain hopeful That's that dope. you you absolutely, in my eyes, represent possibilities for change, mm-hmm. and genuine change, honorable change. So I kind of, as a Muslim woman who happens to be African-American, I switched it up this time. Um, I'm right there between hope and fear, Connor. So I'm hopeful that people like you, strong people who are genuine, I'm very hopeful that you will help to be a catalyst that continues this, this growth. But I'm fearful that the movement will die down and we'll go back to business as, as usual. So I'm right there hope, between hope and fear. When I think of Connor. Awesome. Mommy, it's been beautiful having you on. You're incredible. Keep using your voice. I hope that this is just the beginning because you've been sitting on a lot of stuff for years. Um, Can I ask there's Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry. So Dave, as a person, as a student in, in our care, in adults care in Beacon, New York, you had no idea that you had an adult, a woman of color, who was going through all this. So, no. Right. Nah, not, not at all. I could, like, the way I look at it, I could, at the time, no. Now, as an adult, I can suspect it. I can't say that I, like, would know because I haven't heard this. Right. There's things that have happened where, like, a culmination of things that happened where you're like, all right, something wasn't right. Right. I wonder how they're treating people that are teachers. So, to your point, no, I would never know. Right. So now as an adult and you hear it, 
How do you look at me? I always love you. <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't even like besides that, even when we joke around like full transparency, even when we joke around about LBC and me not being in it, I know why I wasn't in it. And that's the one thing, like I wasn't doing what I need, needed to do on paper for you to get the check off of me. Oh, excuse me. Get that check off of me. Like saying, oh no, he's with us. He has that 80 average. You know what I mean? And after that, I knew if I got in one time and the time came where I made a fell below that, you would fight for me. That, that, that's a no. But I know now at the time I was, of course, I'm a kid. I'm reaching out. I don't know how I'm asking for help. I'm asking, like, how do I get a part of this? They tell you, you have an 80 average. I'm like, all right, well, I ain't getting in. You know, and I see all my friends are part of it. So you have that FOMO. You're like, man, I, I want to be a part of that. I want to do some positive things, especially coming from where I came from. Right. But then when you look at it as an adult, it's like the first finger, you point a finger, as they always say, there's three pointing back at you. Yep. And that was me not helping you make sure that I get on there. And that's where my fault was. So I never really need an explanation why I was an LBC. I know why. But it comes to the point where you have to understand, like, you as an adult now, I do understand why someone that wants to help, they can't help through that. But anytime my interactions with you, you were always positive. And I would just come into your room. Right. One of those best friends. Like, yeah. it didn't matter. I didn't need it. But it was like, all well, my friends are doing it, so I want to do it too. Right. I was always curious. And, and, and I have to be totally transparent on paper. Not that you need this excuse. But on paper, it did say in 85 and students had to. <laughs> Wait. That ain't me. <laughs> you be all and students had to get recommendations. But had you come to me and exactly. said, trust me, and I'm saying this with all honesty, because there were students who came to me and I said, well, you know what? Let's do it like this. Get your recommendations. We'll work with your 75 average. But you have to make at least strides towards getting up there. So we yeah. had, we didn't get to 85. And so when Naja started teasing me about it, I'm like, wait a second. I don't remember Dave ever coming to me. No, I probably, oh. and I probably, and I wasn't that type of, I didn't have enough confidence in myself because of where, like I was letting my environment, it was, I was allowing that to make me into the product that I was at that time. Got like, I wasn't reaching out. I, in my mind, I probably something as simple. Well, I'm never going to get any recommendations. The only recommendation I got for college was my gym teacher. Who gives a damn about that? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to get, I didn't feel Miss Gaspar actually gave me a recommendation. Let me take that back. And, and I didn't deserve it. Like she was helping me out because of how I was coming to her for that extra credit. Right. Or like for me, schooling, like for someone like me, I just needed someone to like hone in on me. I needed one-on-one attention. Yeah. And, yes. But I'm sorry. Well, and you said the words, you didn't deserve it. You needed someone to hone in on you. Yeah. We make things so much in the school system, make things so much about grades, but like, it's also about character, morals over money or for kids. Money is great. I literally got paid not as a bribe, but incentive. You know, if we got A's, we got a certain amount of money. If we got B's, we got a certain amount of money from our parents. And it was beautiful. Morals over money. They also, when I got a C, when I got my first ever C and then below, I was never felt made to feel like I wasn't important for my parents because they knew I was trying hard. And it was always, for me, it was my emotional intelligence and intellect over 
intelligence. And clearly just from you speaking, we always tease each other, Dave, obviously, but just from you speaking, like, I know you, your voice has become more empowered um, and amplified as you've gotten older, but you've been who you are forever. So you did deserve it as a kid. I only knew you as Ali's old, you know, friend, you know what I'm saying? You know, whatever. You know, Ali, that's all. I'm blaming Ali. That was never me. <laughs> but you, but like you needed, you needed the adults to, to look at you and the two recommendations that you got, I'm sure were speaking to your character because what are grades? Yeah. Like girls over grades, like f-, f-, f grade, forget grades. They don't actually matter. Yeah. Matters is the person you are. And as a parent, I wanted to see the comments. Remember yeah, that? my mom wanted to see the comments about us. It's not like, oh, okay, Naja got an A. She's trying to figure out why it says student is an incessant talker or why yeah. it says, student <laughs> is a disruption to class. Exactly. <laughs> What's happening with that character, Naja? And that makes sense. Like, what you're being like, I there's things that are like constants, like math, educate. I mean, uh, math, English, you know, science. Those things are constant. But then you get into history. Like, I had a lot of problems. I had some of my best teachers, and I had some of my worst teachers in history. And that's because the the information that my father was giving me mm. is way different than the information that they were giving me. So I would go in class and be the knucklehead who would speak up. And be like, I don't, I I never heard of that. That's not true. This is, this ain't real. Like it's even small things. I was reading something the other day and it might be false. I haven't looked at a history book in forever, but they put pictures of black people. Like the, the young lady at the time, she's still alive, but she was the first person to attend an all white school. Like those pictures are black and white, MLK in black and white. You know, even behind me is in black and white. It is. Well, you bridges? Ruth Bridges, yes. We're, we were training our minds to think those, those incidents were so long ago, but they were actually very current. And if they were in color, that would have changed our mind. And that's why I question everything I see. I make sure I do my research. But to the school point, you know, help a brother out. Yes. <laughs> Break you off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. Let me go. Let me get deleted, you know. Let me go. Yo, we got shirts coming to you. We got shirts coming to you. You know what I'm saying? You've been on that whole 40, so... I don't even know if you fit a medium anymore. All right, I'm out here. I'm about to go for a bike ride after this into the city. Check out the scene. Yes, wear that mask. Do my own Um, diagnosis. (laughs) We got to close out. We got to close out. We love you. You are incredible. Um, We usually have a moment where we try to shout out hometown heroes. I even asked you to think of anyone, but it's so very clear that the shout out for the hometown hero is you today. Um, You are amazing. Coming from your daughter, and I know that Connor and David clearly share that sentiment and anyone who chooses to listen does and will as well. Um, and so because of all the work that you did with Leaders by Choice, continue to do with Leaders by Choice, continue to do just as a strong woman who happens to be African-American and Muslim, we love you. And that is why, don't play me. Oh, oh no. Come on, you're messing up. That is why. Ooh, this one's a little... We hey, dub you. We're mixing it up. Mixing it up. That is why we dub you Fonda Kits Muhammad, the Maverick. We dub you our <laughs> hashtag underrepped rep of the week. King Muhammad Maverick, we love you. Thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I feel like a queen. Now you are a queen. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been phenomenal. Thank you so much for everything you do and you continue to do. And that just needs to be recognized. That's it. That's it. Everyone who's listening, do your part. Black Lives Matter. Do some. Black Lives Matter.